and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Do you know what episode we're talking about tonight, Vina? I know it is an episode that you have been so, so excited to talk about, Joanna. The the name is pretty isn't the point, but it is the episode where Hannah dances. <laughs> it's the Hannah rage dance. It's bang, bang. We have been waiting to get to the top of the mountain. And here we are. How does it feel? Oh, it feels so great. Like, I mean technically other stuff happens like people behave in fucked up ways but hannah dances and aria climbs a tree and hannah dances and like (laughs) talia's husband is awful but hannah dances i'm so glad that hannah dances in this episode because as i was making my notes i was like 10 scenes in and fully like half of the scenes my notes started oh no Uh (laughs) uh-oh oh dear like so there is um you know, there there is a lot of um, a lot of swine that we have to get through in order to find the pearl here. For sure, yeah, there is a lot of uh, questionable stuff happening in this episode. But you know, if Ashley Benson was going to submit an episode for a potential Emmy Award for this show, I think you'd have to have her do this one. She gets to do it all here. She gets to be funny. She gets to be tragic. She gets to be unhinged. She gets to dance. She gets to cry. It is the Hannah Tor divorce here. Truly, truly it is. Well, uh, should we should we dive into this Let's go. episode? The sooner we start, the sooner Hannah dances. <laughs> I know, normally we have, like, a nice long preamble, and I hear it's like, let's go! <laughs> this is gonna bang, be like, bang, let's go! We're going to zoom through the first half of this episode in, like, ten minutes, and then, like, <laughs> spend 45 talking about the Hannah dance. And you know what? I'm here for it. Uh, so we begin with the liars digging around Mike's very messy room. Uh, Hannah is commenting on Mike's expensive new gym equipment, and Aria is disgusted by the knowledge that Mike might have jock itch. Uh, Aria is doing a classic, saying this is wrong while continuing to go along with the plan. Uh, Hannah is pretty darn convinced that Mike is up to something sketchy with their blood, as is Spencer. Just as Spencer is about to reach for the telltale energy muscle drink that contained the blood, as we saw last episode... Aria finds a necklace that Spencer quickly deduces as having the Morse code message, I'm with you. Spencer is certain that this must be for Allison and Mike's way of saying that he is, in fact, with her. To which I say, holy jumping to conclusions, Batman. Yeah, it is a big, big jump there. Uh, also, I had forgotten completely about the existence of this necklace. So when Ew. they pulled it out, I was like, oh, like, I mean, PLL is so full of red herrings and MacGuffins that yeah. you can't even even we cannot remember them all. So when we saw this necklace, I was like, oh, oh hey there. 
you could do a whole episode on just like pieces of jewelry that are supposed to be meaningful, but ultimately aren't or are meaningful, but then are swiftly forgotten. Like Melissa's engagement ring. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be um, one. Ashley's the, engagement ring. <laughs> the owl, uh, the owl necklace that was actually a flash drive. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, that's a good, that's a that's an oldie but goodie. Yeah, there's, I feel like there have got to be more with like, jenna or mona um yeah yeah i'm not thinking of them right now but they're they're there (laughs) okay so now we get to the first scene where i start by saying oh boy oh boy emily comes into the brew to find talia on the phone talking about a recipe that includes lard which she keeps a secret from her customers after she hangs up we learn it was Pam on the phone because remember how Prezra made friends with Ella before his relationship with Arya was brought to light? Emily nervously asks if Talia thinks that Pam knows about them and I laugh out loud at the thought of Pam chatting casually about Cobbler with a 20-something woman who is dating her teen daughter. No, Emily, she does not know. Um, Talia responds oh she knows she doesn't know from me uh which like what an innocent sounding phrase that manages to presuppose any blame for their relationship becoming public falls on emily herself so talia also tells emily that she's happy to keep this just between them if that's what emily wants oh my god sure because it's obviously Emily who needs to keep the fact that you're a married adult woman macking on a teenager a secret. Jesus. Emily, at this point, tries to confirm that Talia's husband also knows, and Talia gives, like, no indication that this is any kind of problem within her relationship. Uh, they smooch, just like all good secret relationships. It's right in the middle of the brew where anyone outside <laughs> the windows could clearly see, uh, despite allegedly them not being open yet. This is a pure technicality, is who should immediately walk through the unlocked door but Mike Montgomery. He wants two coffees to go and claims they're both for him because he had a long night. Emily does not handle this interaction particularly well. Uh, She is clearly spooked by him and also trying, like, very obviously to wheedle information. Uh, He does not respond well when she asks him, Uh, what he was doing last night, that he had such a long night. And he says he already has one big sister. He is not looking for another. He gets his coffees and he goes. This leads Emily to send a text that she just saw Mike and he is getting scarier. (laughs) Is he though? (laughs) I had a big old laugh over that line. Like there is some really funny liar texting in this episode and Emily saying that Mike is getting scarier is definitely the beginning of that. Yeah, there's a carton of milk that's just out on the counter of the brew, and we don't know how long it's been out there, and they're apparently just letting customers, despite not being open yet, pour it into their drinks. I am much more scared about the the handling of dairy items in the brew than I am of Mike Montgomery in this scene. Good point. Good point. Yeah, Talia is certainly much scarier than Mike in this scene with all the tricks she is pulling. 
Um, but again, like, as we've said, you could just completely lift this dialogue out of any Presria scene and barely have to change a thing. Yeah, it's shocking, but it is yeah. true. Yeah. So uh, at a different coffee establishment, seemingly at Hollis, Johnny and Spencer are having coffee. Uh, he sort of asks her about how she's going abroad, but it quickly turns into him telling a story about himself taking a horse tranquilizer and eating a fish taco in his sleep on an airplane. And my God, this dude is insufferable. So much so that we're actually almost grateful when we see mad dad Toby stomping yeah. over towards Spencer. Uh, he seems very tired and is extremely cold with both Spencer and Johnny. He claims to be here to pick up some class schedules for Jenna. It's clear that he and Spencer have barely been talking. He says he is working and will not be free to meet up with her. Johnny throws some pretentious Italian at Toby, which this was definitely a moment of like, Toby is being terrible, but I kind of hate Johnny more. And so Toby's hatred of Johnny kind of makes me laugh because Toby clearly is like ready to punch Johnny for speaking to him in Italian. And like, there is nothing so annoying as somebody who is being really pretentious and then like names that they're being pretentious as a cover for their pretentiousness. Like that's not self-awareness. That's just being a douche. I mean, yes, they're really having just a, a douche off here because Toby comes over and he acts like he acts like he's caught Spencer doing something wrong. Like, yes, that's the energy that he is bringing to this interaction, even though Spencer is like allowed to have coffee in the world with whoever she chooses. She's not on a date and he hasn't like it's clear he hasn't like spoken to her in who knows how long. Um, yes. But yeah, he just stomps over to be a mad dad. And his weird story that like his dad, who he does not live with, sent him over to pick up some class schedules for Jenna, his stepsister, who he loathes. Like how <laughs> how nice and affable of Toby to do this errand for them. Uh, how generous <laughs> he can be to people who are not dating him. Yeah, it does seem like whenever Toby is mad at Spencer, like, the excuse for why he's busy is often Jenna-related. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also, you you know that Johnny is going to be especially insufferable in this episode because the first time you see him, he's wearing a tweed flat cap that it's like, did he steal that from Spencer's closet? I feel like he might have. Well, it certainly would have looked better on Spencer than it does on his smirky face. Ugh, ugh, so true. Uh, oh, gosh. Oh, no. <laughs> we are where we are, people. Caleb is assembling a low table while Hannah sits on his bed and runs down the building case against Mike Montgomery. Uh, Caleb is unimpressed with the necklace as evidence and skeptical of an immediate Allison connection. Uh, he kind of exasperatedly asks if she wants him to talk to Ari's brother, presumably man to man, uh, Hannah's like, no, God, of course not. Um, but she's still looking distressed as her phone kind of continues to make noises. After he asks her what's going on, Hannah admits that she is entering a beauty pageant and is thinking about hiring a coach to help her. Caleb initially laughs like it's a joke. And then when he realizes she's serious, he says there must be better ways to get money for school than parading around in a bikini 
like a prized heifer at the fair. Wow, 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 wow. Way to compare your beautiful, generous, completely amazing partner who you're very aware has suffered from body dysmorphia in the past to a cow. (laughs) Caleb's solution is to borrow money from his richy rich stepdad. Uh, Hannah does not want to ask for anyone's help after her own dad turned her down. Caleb changes tack and tells her the pageant world is squeaky clean and she is a no-goodnik who is recently trying to destroy evidence in a murder case. He actually uses the phrase liquefied friend to describe what they're assuming was Mona's body. So he is really hitting the insensitive ball out of the completely unsupportive Claude ballpark here. Uh, Hannah is determined to go ahead with the pageant anyway. Yeah, this is like a sketch or a skit of like how to be an unsupportive partner starring Caleb Rivers. Like he is just at any opportunity in this scene for him to like be supportive or be encouraging or come through for her in any way. He is utterly failing. And the person in this episode who is a wonderful partner to Hannah is Emily. Yes. Yes. I hate Caleb in this episode. Like Caleb, I I mean, Toby is awful in this episode too, but I just hated Caleb every time he was on screen. He, he is being like, Toby is being the version of himself that he always is. uh, But Caleb, I feel like is really starting to settle into like the worst version of himself that we're going to be seeing for a while. Yes. And I mean, we'll talk about this, but there's also a troubling bit of sort of the canary in the coal mine of the weird Caleb Ashley as Hannah's parents dynamic that will really continue for the rest of the series. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So the garbage artist himself is bemoaning the awkwardness with Toby. But as Spencer tries to process what's going on with Toby and maybe get a little bit of support of her own, Johnny is suddenly distracted by the sight of their vandalism that has been apparently pried off the side of Hollis and like shuffled off to this art gallery in this like weird high building. It's a very <laughs> strange shot. I also think that all of Troyan's lines in this scene are ADR'd, which like gives this scene another sort of odd off kilter quality to it. Um, yeah, so yes. Vandalism in window at gallery. Oh no. Yes. Ugh. Um, Aria and Andrew are studying for the LSAT or something as he <laughs> asks her about a trial with the first successful use of a psychiatric defense. She's distracted, especially when Mike comes in with his two coffees. Uh, she asks Andrew, who is so eager to help her out to follow Mike to this gym that he goes to on West Elm to see if he's meeting anyone there. Andrew agrees to it right away. Uh, When Mike returns, he is furious that Arya has been in his room and gone through his stuff. Arya hilariously claims that she was just doing laundry, just the women's work of his single teen mom. Uh, But Mike shouts that he doesn't keep underwear in his desk. and She had no right to do that. And if she touches his stuff again, she will live 
to regret it. Uh, then he flips an end table uh, before storming off. And Andrew, who kind of like peaced out and went to the porch for the first part of this, like comes back in the doorway to look large and imposing. Yeah, I mean, we were talking last week about Mike's potential steroid use. I feel like this would have been a good, like, he, like, has, like, roid rage or something moment. Obviously, we'll find out by the end of the episode, like, what's actually going on. Um, Also, it feels like they use the phrase trial of the century so many times in this scene, (laughs) which is, like, so clearly, like, the most obvious foreshadowing to the fact that, like, PLL is about to become a courtroom drama for the last few episodes of this season. Um, also love Aria with a pencil behind her ear for half of this scene. Like that's so Aria, you know, needing to like cosplay the frazzled student, right? <laughs> she doesn't actually know any of these facts, but damn it, she's going to put a look together. Um, I'm surprised she doesn't have like a whole skirt of pencils that she's wearing. Um, or like earrings, like pencil yes. earrings that she just like leans over the desk and writes with from time to time. I could totally see that. I could totally see that. Um, Also, I did kind of appreciate that Andrew doesn't, like, when Mike first comes in, that he doesn't try to intervene. Like, he doesn't immediately assume, like, oh, little lady Arya can't handle her brother Mike, that he leaves. Um, However, he does agree way too eagerly to tail Mike, which is like, come on, dude, you gotta, you're gonna, you gotta play the the long game of of stalking the liars here. I mean, that is true, but he is getting everything he wants. He is making a lot of headway just week to week. Like, yes, you know, last true. week, as soon as he as soon as he agreed to help them chase Mike and then he got to, like, wield his baseball bat when they were confronting uh, Cyrus. Like, now he's like, oh, now I get another mission. I get to tail Mike. Later, I'm going to get cupcakes. Like, he's... He's really, like, insinuating himself uh, very deliberately here. He's finally gotten the cupcakes that he didn't get when Emily walked in on him and Spencer that one day. (laughs) Years later, the cupcakes have come home to roost. So meanwhile, uh, inside the art gallery, Spencer and Johnny are staring at their art, which they are very upset to see has been split into multiple pieces and framed. Uh, there's this weird kind of like bitchy museum owner who's like peering over their shoulders saying that he received them from somebody who was going to put them in the trash at Hollis. Um, and he says that they are his until someone buys them. Spencer and Johnny are very, very upset. I find it so weird that like, I mean, there's a lot that's very strange about the Johnny storyline. <laughs> One of the things that I find really weird is that, like, Spencer is a person, Spencer absolutely is a person who comes from privilege and has been shielded from a lot of things because of that. But she's also a person who has been exposed to a lot of, like, societal injustices in her, you know, 17 years or however old she's supposed to be at this point. Like, she's dealt with a lot of institutional failures. She spent time in Radley, all of that. And yet all of the Johnny stuff is framed as like Spencer, you know, Spencer, like seeing what it's like to not have money or not have privilege for like the first time in her life. Like this little white man is going to teach her about what it's like to be in like the real heart of America or something. Well, especially because Johnny is like, he's playing at poverty at best. Right. Like, right. I mean, come on. He, 
he got this place that he's living through a friend of his mom's. Like, exactly. you know, he paid his rent in change. Like, I mean, he, yeah, he is, he he's went to Europe. Stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, he's, he is not actually like a, an impoverished artist by any stretch. But this whole thing is so berserk. Like, first of all, like, Spencer and Johnny sure are eager to claim responsibility for this art, which was initially an act of vandalism. Like, they're like, yes. we did this. We painted this. This was us. And it's like, I don't think that that is, like, a compelling case. And also, like, this is absolutely hilarious that Hollis removed that entire part of the roof intact rather than just paint over it. Oh, my goodness. This show. Yeah. And, you know, I, I it's this is an interesting story where they don't they don't have a or like an a adjacent character claim responsibility for this for like how this guy got this artwork. There's just like some allusions to him being like kind of a shifty character or something. And it feels like an opportunity to like have a involved or like tie it in with you know, Tanner or something a little bit more, and yet they don't do that, which I think is a weird choice. Well, that's true, but you, you like, don't always, like, A does not always take responsibility true. when they're involved with something, like, I true. don't know. I, but, but also, like, when they made this art, it's not like, it's not like Spencer and Johnny made this art with the understanding that it would just stay where it was forever. Like, right. I, I mean, right. and that they would be like the credited artists of it. Like you're, this is like, literally, this is an, a piece of art that you're putting out into the world. And then what happens to it, you have no control over. Like you vandalized like a space that didn't belong to you. That art yes. is no longer your property. I don't understand what, point they are trying to make like no no this should still be ours um it's it's a wild stretch i feel well especially since last week spencer was all i'm all for protest art and like now it's just about like ownership over it which feels like we're kind of missing the whole point yes yes true oh Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Hannah, oh, <boy. laughs> Hannah is meeting with a horrible pageant coach whose idea of preparing Hannah for the pageant is firing off possible questions the judges might ask her and making Hannah feel inferior. She doesn't need to pay this lady. She already has a boyfriend for that. <laughs> anyway, the coach lady is demanding that Hannah declare a talent because pretty isn't the point. She can't just be a lollipop under pressure Hannah declares that she dances that is her talent yes Hannah yes it is <laughs> yes it is it is it is quite the quite the little drop in the bucket of what this storyline will be um this lady is like what do you do well and it's like she does so many things well lady stop talking to our dear sweet Hannah this way Yes, this lady is awful. And like, in terms of being a coach, it, it it doesn't seem like she's actually doing any coaching. Like her version of coaching is just being a horrible human being. I also feel like they needed to go like 
25% in a different, like in, in a direction with this character. Like <laughs> it feels like they almost want her to be like kind of, you know, Miranda Priestly esque like boss bitch who tells it like it is, but she's like not sharply written enough for that. She's also like not in any way supportive. So like that doesn't work. It's like, I feel like they couldn't like, they needed to like amp her up a little bit more. You know what I mean? So just like make her more entertaining. Cause as it is, she's just sort of unpleasant. Yeah. She's unpleasant. She's really just a, a foil. She's like a trampoline yeah. for this plot to bounce off of. And her name is Nan, which is yes. very weird. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so the next scene begins with a hilarious text where uh, Hannah is texting Emily, cancel your life this weekend. You're dancing with me. We'll explain later. Oh, yes, she will. She will definitely <laughs> explain later. Uh, just then. Oh, dear. Oh, boy. A man is here. He is looking for Talia. This is Eric. This is Talia's husband. Based on the em, either Emily's expression or the fact that Talia has sent him pictures of Emily or perhaps both, he quickly deduces that Emily is Emily, who he says Talia talks about all the time. Emily, understandably, is immediately on edge and uh, starts kind of nervously moving around the space, clearly trying to get away from him. But Eric would like Emily to know that this is all just totally normal she doesn't have to be uncomfortable uh emily is like really because i kind of am and uh he says he knows what's going on this doesn't have to be weird if talia needs to experiment then that's fine because he loves her and he expects to be doing that a lot longer than anyone else emily's face quickly says oh shit as does the audience <laughs> Wow, 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 wow. This is bad. This is really bad. Emily, run, do not walk away from these people. They are going to like sell you into a sex cult or harvest your organs or do something bad with you and you need to get away. Yeah, his claim to know all about it and be fine with it is like belied by his staking out of the brew to meet Emily when Talia isn't around and make passive aggressive remarks to her. And also to like the first part of him talking to Emily when he's like, yeah, Talia talks about you all the time. Like he's clearly trying to get Emily to give him some info on what's yes. going on between her and Talia. So it's like, oh wow, I can see why you and Talia get along. Like I can see the things that you two yes. have in common, sir. Well, he's also like, he's, it's so gross because he's both like clearly like staking his claim or whatever, but he's also practically like licking his lips being like, you know, do you have any videos of the two of you together or something? Yeah. Like it's so gross. Yeah. It, it really is like, he is like, I, I mean, like a is often like kind of a, a stand in, for like the the gaze of like the the patriarchy but like this is like the male gaze is actually a character who has entered the brew uh, yes. and is like <laughs> yes the male gaze has entered the chat here yeah yeah <laughs> yeah for sure uh but also like there is so clearly a conversation that he needs to have with his wife and <laughs> yeah. not the teenager that she is hooking up with and just also like I truly cannot imagine the kind of person who's like learning like, oh, my spouse is having an affair with a teenager. And their response 
is that they think to themselves, well, what I need to do in this situation is go and intimidate this teen. Like of all the choices of behavior that are available to me, that is, that's the best one for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It is super weird. It is super gross. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's also just, it's interesting that they, like, that this is the direction that they decided to go in with Talia's husband. Because, like, there's different directions they could have gone in. They could have gone in a direction of, like, he's more of, like, a lovable schmuck who doesn't know, you know, what he's gotten into. But, like, they make him really, really gross. And, yeah, it's just, Emily, Emily, what, get, get out of here. Get out of here, girl. <laughs> Also, let me just say, let me just say, this is in like 10 years when Arya and Prezra are married and like Prezra is having an affair with the teenager who works at the brew. Like this whole, this whole scenario will be repeating itself. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You are so, so right. That is like, yeah, this is, this is a future. This is the crystal ball for the Prezra relationship. Completely. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So listen, one interpretation of the next scene is that Mike is hiding the coated necklace in a hollowed out tree in the woods. From behind another tree, Andrew watches him. But I'm just saying also, (laughs) maybe Mike and Andrew are frequenting a gay male cruising ground and the tree necklace is a signal for them to hook up in a nearby clearing because the way that Andrew is like peering (laughs) through the branches of that bush, he certainly does not seem uninterested. I had the same note. Like the, the way, like it, it very much has a vibe of like, you're going to cut to the next scene and they're like making out behind a a third tree or something. Like it is wild. Also uh, continue, like continue LOL at the fact that like these, you know, into the woods esque set exists behind Mona's house, like directly behind Mona's house. I mean, I feel like the, it's like the woods, like, the movable forest, like the the forest in Macbeth has like just taken up residence here in Rosewood. Remember how Spencer sometimes has a national park in her backyard? Yeah. It has moved. Like the national park has moved and now it's behind Mona's house. They're like, and they're not like the little trees that you might have in like a lush backyard. Like this is like, this is a full on forest. This is a magical wonderland. Like Hansel and Gretel are dropping breadcrumbs as they walk through here kind of forest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're dropping breadcrumbs and like putting a bandana in a particular pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Hansel has a very particular ear pierced and he would like everyone <laughs> to know what he means by it. Um, so Ashley opens the door for Emily, who is ready to dance. Uh, it is morning time. It is dancing time. We learn that Emily has been taking dance lessons since she was three. Uh, Pam hoped that she was going to get a ballerina, but she ended up with a jock and a lesbian. Uh, Ashley is worried about Hannah. Uh, Emily says that this pageant isn't about Hannah proving something to herself. It's just for the money. Uh, She kind of apologizes for that comment, but Ashley brushes it off. She's made this like big full breakfast. There's like a fruit salad and pancakes and bacon. 
Emily says that she can't dance on a full stomach. And then she asks if Ashley thinks that it's okay to date a person if some part of you knows that it isn't going to last forever when it feels wonderful in the moment. Uh, first of all, I don't think we've seen any scenes between Emily and Talia that suggest that it's wonderful in any particular moment. Um, second of all, I love that, like, this is how Emily is framing this scenario. Like, it's a it's a wild, like, we've seen everything that's happened in this relationship. And, like, this is a hot take. That Emily like, this is a wild take. Ashley, clearly thinks that Emily is talking about either uh, it's kind of interesting because like it could be Pastor Ted or it could be Jason that Ashley is thinking of Um, but then she says that people get hurt every day but no one should jump into a relationship with that intention Emily takes a sulky bite of a pancake and looks distraught I do like this moment of like physical comedy of her biting the yeah, and I, I like that this is a question that Emily asks Ashley because they, they do yeah. have like a kind of cool like surrogate mother-daughter sort of a bond. For um, sure. And I mean, Ashley's advice isn't terrible, but I think that way better advice would be that Emily is in high school and life is long. And, yes. And that forever isn't the true measure of a successful relationship anyway. Like, For sure. Just, you know, just staying together doesn't mean that you like each other or that you're being fulfilled by a particular partnership. Like, whew, yeah. But Ashley is not, I mean, that's the advice that Ashley needs to hear, right? Because, yeah. so she's certainly not going to dole it out to Emily. <laughs> oh, man. So it is shocking, considering how terrible Andrew is, that he is one of the least worst parts of the episode this week. Uh, he and Aria are getting the long-promised cupcakes at Lucky Leon's, and he is filling her in on Mike hiding something in a tree in the woods behind Mona's house. And he's like, I can take you there. And Aria is like, no, no, just give me a description of the tree. And I, <laughs> like, what, like, what are they? They're like tree detectives now? They're going to be like, well... This <laughs> this tree is 15 feet tall. It has like a plain type bark. Like a what? Just describe the tree. It's a tree. Come on. So um, Andrew is overprotective, not wanting her to go alone, and also not wanting her to be alone in the house uh, with Mike. And this is like he's being overprotective, but also he is clearly trying to work the karate Jake angle of getting invited for multiple sleepovers uh, so that he can be like the faithful guard dog who just like sleeps on the floor in her bedroom and is, is there to like protect her from anything. Um, Arya is like, no, I won't be alone. My dad is coming back today from the black hole where he's been living and abdicating all responsibility (laughs) for raising his children. Oh man. Yeah. It's, the body language is really interesting in this scene too. Cause like Arya's feet are kind of like tucked underneath her. Andrews are like practically reaching under the table and wrapping around her. Also Arya's dress has this giant star on her back that like gets yeah. the camera focuses on for a second, which is very entertaining. Um, yeah. It's, it, it's so funny because like, obviously Andrew is being, you know, creepy and like trying to get, you know, more intimate time with Arya. 
But I also feel like there's this read of like, he just really wants to be invited along for a caper. He just, <laughs> he just wants to be the fifth liar so badly. <laughs> um, the star on the back of Ari's dress, what is it made of? I don't think it's like fabric. I think it's like, it kind of looks like when, when I was growing up, like it looked like a thing you might have decorating your garage door possibly. So I feel like Aria like took it off someone's garage door and has made it fashion. She's just slapped it on her back as, as her new look. <clears throat> I could buy it. So Johnny, like Johnny, this is Johnny's move. Johnny's move is he shows up at the Hastings house. He's like, I need this thing, this like random object that I theoretically should have access to, but I'm going to act like I don't have access to. And then I'm going to use Spencer's interest in my need for that object as a way to rope her into spending time with me and getting involved in my little schemes. Case in point, this scene where Johnny barges into the Hastings house looking for a toolbox, he is all keyed up and ready to steal his painting back. Judges don't like him. He's an anarchist. The system is rigged. Uh, Spencer gets that look in her eye, but he insists that she needs to stay buttoned down, which, of course, is going to tempt Spencer to get involved. One of the paintings that has sold is hers. Spencer is now equally riled up and is ready to march into battle for their paintings with Johnny. This was clearly all part of his master plan. Okay, so, like, what does Johnny own? Like, what does he have in the barn? Because we have seen him come to Spencer's needing rotten vegetables, needing eggs, needing a toolkit, needing access to the fridge. Later, he's going to need packing tape. Like, does he have any belongings whatsoever? He either has, like, no belongings or he has all of these belongings, but he's just... This is all just a giant excuse. I love the idea that Spencer comes into the barn one day and he's just like has a giant tower of stuff that he has like a big sheet over <laughs> to like not make it clear that he actually has had everything he's asked for. Oh my goodness. Okay. So Caleb arrives. I, I think that these scenes take place. I think it's an empty classroom at the school. Is that right? Because it's like we see the courtyard, we see people kind of milling around. I um, think it's I think it's supposed to be like a rehearsal space, like possibly the same room where they do choir practice, but like with okay. like with stuff moved around so they can dance in it. Okay. Uh, so Caleb arrives at the school carrying wrapped cheesesteaks. Uh, he sees something on a sign-up sheet, then heads to the empty classroom where Emily and Hannah are practicing. Uh, this is a little appetizer for us. The song is Bang Bang, a perfect choice. And <laughs> Hannah is wearing a shirt that says Garçon on it. <laughs> uh, looking at how this dance was supposed to look, I am not convinced it would have been a great choice for the pageant to begin with. Uh, but Emily and Hannah are finishing the first part of their choreography. Caleb comes in. And when Hannah points out that this is the point where he could clap, he claims that his hands are too full of food. Okay, your voice works, asshole. You could have <laughs> wooed or woohoo. Could put the food down to clap. Uh, Caleb is being a big old jerk here. Uh, when pressed, he says that the dance was good. Hannah is not interested in his damning with faint praise. 
She is worried about her coach, who's going to be here in two hours, and makes her feel like the girl at fat camp who got caught eating her minty toothpaste. Oh, Hannah. Uh, Caleb drops a major piece of info, which is that Kate Randall has entered this pageant as well. This throws Hannah for a huge loop, feeling like Kate has stolen her dad, her college experience, and now her pageant. Yes, we also get the uh, the name of the pageant coach here, Nan Zabriskie. <laughs> a wild name. It's kind of from the uh, Laurel Tuckman school of <laughs> character names. Um, also, I why is Emily putting mustard on a cheesesteak? That would be a question I would have. Um, and yeah, this is like Hannah is really fired up here. Her crown will not be stolen. She is going to pee and then they are going to rehearse until it is perfect. And like she's got she's got a lot of she's got a lot of a lot riding on this. She does. She does. I am so sorry that you keep getting the garbage parts of this recap, but take it away. (laughs) It's okay. I was realizing that I was like, I have talked about just about every garbage artist Johnny scene, but you know what? It's okay. Cause like, this is, we, you know, we're we're moving through him. We're moving through. Every scene I talk about is another scene we don't have to talk about. (laughs) I know that you, uh, you'd been calling him gadge in, in your notes for garbage artist Johnny. I just started calling him garbage at some point (laughs) in my, in my recap here. So I, you're, you're just getting all the parts where it's Spencer and garbage. I was realizing it could also be Jag would actually make more sense. Johnny Garb or Johnny, that would be Johnny artist garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Also, that's too cool of a nickname for him. (laughs) I prefer Gadge. Uh, So Spencer and Gadge drive up to the gallery in Johnny's sketchy as hell looking van. Uh, He like bops out of the car sketchily. Uh, obvious as can be and goes to attempt to pick the lock before she wisely comes over and takes over. This will basically be the like wash rinse repeat of the next like three scenes between the two of them. Yeah. Okay. First of all, uh, the van is like this giant VW bus style van, which is a very distinctive method of transportation for a heist. And Johnny like, running over to the door and then kneeling down as he's trying to pick the lock. I actually like, as we see how ill-prepared Johnny is for this adventure and later we see how Johnny reacts when he does get picked up. I think that Johnny actually wants to get caught. Like I think that Johnny is going into this, hoping that it's going to like launch his career, that he will receive publicity mm-hmm. from breaking into this gallery to try to steal his work back. And then he'll become like the next Banksy. Oh, that's a really interesting idea. Yeah. He practically does a soft shoe over to the door of the gallery. Um, yeah, I could, I can see that. That makes sense. I mean, this guy is just desperate for attention. But he just wants it any way he can get it. So that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. So Aria arrives outside of Mona's house and checks to see that the lights upstairs are all off. She heads out with a flashlight into the woods behind the house to find the tree. Uh, Why is she not taking one of the others liars with her at least? Who knows? That's so Aria. Yes, the mystery music really cranks up here at the end. Uh, And then we are in the gallery. There is a creak as Johnny is trying to pry some of one of his paintings off the walls. 
and suddenly Spencer is right there. She appears like out of thin air. Uh, she asks if he's new at this and hands him the appropriate tool. We cut here, but I think we can imagine that she's the one who ends up prying the paintings off the walls. Yeah, when when this was happening, I was like, because you were saying like it's wash, rinse, repeat. Like he's trying to do something. He doesn't know how to do it. Spencer has to do it. When I was watching this, I was like, is this like some like long con to make it so that Spencer did all of this? Like so that later in court mm. he can be like, I wasn't the one who picked the lock. I wasn't the one who cut the painting down. Nay, sir. I was just along for this, you know, ride uh, that this Jezebel took me on who knew how to do all these things and happened to have tin snips or whatever burglary tool Spencer has on her person. <laughs> um, look, she was even wearing a beanie. Like, you know, <laughs> like so I, I, I think it's either that or it's that, as I said, he wants to be caught. Because he's like, you yeah. know, you would think like a painting in a gallery, is there an alarm attached to this? But he's just like, yank, yank. <laughs> he's trying, like, he's not even trying to like lift it off if it's hanging. He's just like pulling on it with force. Uh, so yeah, he is not an effective criminal. He's honestly probably doing more damage to the painting with whatever he's doing than was done when it was hung up in the gallery. Well, I don't know. This painting already survived. Uh, like being <laughs> being somehow like sheet lifted off of the roof uh and then and then hung in this gallery so like who does like what is the medium for it is it like roofing tiles is it like <laughs> well and also we haven't really mentioned what the painting is it's like some spray painted rabbits like it's not yes. exactly it's not exactly a Monet here. Yeah, the, the painting that was sold was Corner Rabbit. And Spencer was upset because she painted that one. And it's just like... <sighs> <laughs> Heavy sigh. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Ugh, 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 ugh. Caleb. It's hanging around as Hannah and Emily continue to rehearse. Uh, and like they, when they're dancing, like even before it gets to like the big dance scene, like when they are dancing, like they are happy, they are joyful. Uh, he is just like the malevolent fairy spirit uh, who's like just lurking around in the background. Uh, he gets a phone call and goes outside the room to take it. Who is on the phone? It is Ashley. And here we get one of those really egregious Caleb and Ashley parenting Hannah moments. Ashley wants to know how Hannah is doing. Is she having trouble keeping up with Emily? No, Caleb assures her without saying anything positive about his girlfriend. The problem is who she's competing against. Oh man, this is such bullshit. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is. And it's, yeah, it really is sort of a, like a bring brings up almost like a sick feeling of just knowing the way that Ashley and Caleb are going to kind of uh, take over and manage Hannah's life for the rest of the series. Uh, it is true that Hannah and Ashley, I, I agree that Hannah and Emily look like they are having a lot of fun. There is a definite feel that Hannah is like a little behind Emily consistently that Emily like feels the music in her bones in a way. And Hannah is having to try more. 
but Hannah is doing a really good job and they are having a good time together. It's so funny because watching this, like, it's so, like, I feel like this is one of those times where, like, Emily becomes Shay Mitchell. Like, this is just, like, Shay Mitchell model posing and dancing. And, like, obviously Shay Mitchell, like, has experience doing this dancing. Whereas, like, Ashley feels very much Hannah in all of this. You know, yeah, it's really fun. It's also so clear that, like, they are going to get their money's worth out of Bang Bang. Like, they play this song so many times. It's clear that they were like, we paid a lot of money for this song. We are using it, damn it. I'm glad that they did. I'm Me glad too. that they make such liberal use of it uh, as the episode goes on. I, I have to say, this is a note to both Caleb and Ashley here. Uh, but but even even more to Caleb, I think, because he is Hannah's boyfriend. It is not required. It is not a requirement of being in a relationship that you have to want all the exact same things that your partner wants. It is totally fine for Hannah to be more interested in being in a pageant than Caleb is interested in Hannah being in a pageant. Um, but the thing, and, and like, even if Caleb himself has like, some internal like reservations. Um, I think if you get to a point where you are actively rooting against your partner, where you are rooting for your partner to fail, you really need to like just reassess where you are coming from and what you're doing in this relationship because it is clear throughout this episode that Caleb is not pulling for Hannah to be successful here, that Caleb has already concluded that she's going to fail and is like trying to make that happen sooner rather than later. Whether he thinks that's a kindness or not, who the fuck knows, but he is not at this moment rooting for Hannah to succeed. And I think that is extremely shitty behavior on his part. I agree. Yeah, he's not doing anything to, like, help the process. And he's also just bringing really negative energy. Like, he's, he's, I, I, I really do believe that, like, a lot of times things, you know, the energy that you bring into a situation can have an impact on the outcome. And he is just bringing this doom and gloom attitude. He's, like, stirring up the drama with Kate when Hannah is trying to focus. He's bringing in Ashley. Like, he is not helping and honestly the most helpful thing for him to do at this point if he can't like get himself together would be to just leave like yeah, him just, around here is not helping matters yeah just get out of the way um yeah. and this is also an example of I've, I've talked before about how i think like he respects spencer more than he respects hannah and yeah. this whole like this whole plot line is i feel another example of his like lack of respect for hannah as like an adult person capable of making her own decisions, uh, he he doesn't respect that. He feels like he would make better decisions than Hannah does. And so if Hannah does something that he doesn't like, it's like Hannah being childish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's even this sense that he like he almost sort of wants to commiserate with Emily over like how foolish Hannah is being or something, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is like not a vibe that I enjoy. Uh, meanwhile, to say something positive, uh, Emily is being great. Emily is being so helpful and supportive through all of this. She is not wavering. She is running through this dance as many times as Hannah wants. 
I think the mistake that they that they make is having Emily actually do the performance with Hannah in front of Nan, because that's what like makes it clear, you know, when when Hannah is like not keeping up and messing up. But um, we will get to that. Uh, so Bang Bang continues to play as Spencer loads up the car and suddenly an alarm sounds. Uh, I wasn't like, is it the painting that is sounding the alarm or is it just from inside the gallery? Do you think? Um, I think, I think he pulled down. It's the last painting. It's when he pulls the last one down that the alarm yes. goes off. Yeah. So, so yeah. So something is alarmed. Uh, he runs, comes scrambling outside and into the van, throws the painting in. Spencer drives away. Um, even just from this little moment, it's clear that Spencer is getting a thrill out of this experience. And so Spencer has everything loaded into the car. She has left the back part, like the back door of the van open. And you would think if you've just committed a crime and now you need to get away, particularly if there's an alarm sounding, you would throw the painting in and then you would get into the van through the open door. But Johnny doesn't even do that. He puts the painting in, he closes that door, and then he opens the passenger side door. Like, this guy, he wants to get caught. Like, he is not <laughs> actually interested in getting away. Like, you don't even know, did the alarm go off because he stole that painting? Or did the alarm go off because he, like, pulled it on his way out the door? <laughs> he called the cops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he told on himself. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, especially his reaction when he eventually gets arrested. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, okay, Johnny. Um, yeah, and then we just cut back to Hannah continuing to really get into her dancing. Yes, and then we cut over to Spencer, who's looking like she is basking in the post-heist glow as garbage gets gas or snacks or something. Uh, you should have gas in the car before you do the crime. What? What? This this dude, this this fucking man, he decided to launch this caper, have having no idea how to pick a lock, having not even like watched a YouTube video about it beforehand, not bringing any burglary tools, and not having any gas in his flipping car. Oh my goodness. Oh, okay. Um. To, to prove the point about how it is not ideal to stop for gas after you've committed a crime, a cop car pulls up and Officer Tobey struts out because, of course, Spencer hops out and tries to intervene while Toby is asking Garbage if this is his van. Garbage, however, seems only too eager to be arrested. Uh, he says it is his van and the paintings are in the back. Um, you know, as I said, I would not be shocked if he got caught hoping that it would lead to publicity for his artistic career. Um, Spencer pleads hard for Toby not to arrest Garbage, insisting that he did nothing wrong. And if he wants to investigate someone, it should be the creep who owns the gallery. Why? That guy committed no crime. Like, somebody brought in some paintings and he sold them. That's what owning a gallery is. Um, at any rate, uh, this is a weird situation because Spencer is not a dumb person. And it seems very counterintuitive to try and defend yourself from a crime that you just committed quite willingly by justifying it with a crime that you committed previously. Uh, 
Toby, who seems within a hair's breadth of arresting Spencer herself, uh, instead looks at her with just dripping contempt and tells her to walk away. Uh, he says that Tanner wants to use their relationship against them. Spencer should not give her any more ammunition. Walk away. Uh, and I wonder, just like I think that Johnny kind of partially did this, hoping that he would get caught, I wonder if there's a part of Spencer that did this caper in order to have a crisis with Toby, in order to get <laughs> to this moment yeah. uh, where she would have Toby's attention and maybe something definitive would happen. Uh, it, it doesn't. Like, he doesn't pull the trigger and break up with her, which, if he loved Spencer, like, the kindest thing for either of them to do in this moment would just be to say, this is obviously not working. We need to call it off, especially if Tanner wants to use a relationship against us. Let's end the relationship. Let's take that off the table. How are they together now? Like, in what ways are they together? They're not. Yeah. Um, but in the end, Spencer does indeed walk away. Yeah, yeah. The, I, Toby is really, like, putting on the cop voice when he's like, walk away, Spencer, just walk away. Um, yeah, this scene is, like, this is a rough one because Johnny is so smug. Um, Spencer is just crying through most of this scene. Toby is pretty much ignoring her for most of this scene. You know, when she says he's doing this, he's just doing this because he's mad at me, it's like, wow, what a giant red flag, <laughs> a boyfriend and a police officer, that they would arrest somebody out of revenge. Yowza, that's bad. Um, yeah, it's 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 really rough. Toby is, is really terrible here. Johnny is really terrible here. Spencer is making really questionable choices here. Uh, nobody is... Uh, Nobody is acting their best in this moment. True. Very true. So Arya is still sneaking through the woods and finally makes her way to the tree in question. Man, she has been walking slow. Uh, little tiny Arya tries to climb the tree in her ridiculous outfit in the dark. But oh dear, she's startled by some bats and screams. And this thus slows down her tree climbing process. Uh, for the foreseeable future. <laughs> um, I think that they did a great job with this tree. It looks like a warped version of the tree that like Cinderella's fairy godmother comes out of. So yes. good job, tree department. Yes, yeah. I really do think this is like from the Into the Woods set or something. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Oh, it's here. Oh my it's God. your moment. Oh my God. It's... <laughs> is time <laughs> settle in pour yourself a drink if you're driving maybe pull over you're gonna you're gonna just need to take a few deep breaths i think we cut over to emily and hannah and the pageant coach there's a wall of mirrors she's got a booty like a cadillac but i can send you into overdrive here at the beginning we get a sense of what this dance is intended to look like. And it's supposed to be a sexy dance. Lots of running your hands down your body, hips thrusting, booty shaking. Uh, the foot movement is basically a you know, forward, back, jump to face a new direction. Uh, also some nice hand and arm motions of reaching out, pulling back, hands above the head and a clap, and then another pelvic motion that calls to mind like, a routine that Torrance Shipman from Bring It On might devise. 
we get some more hand and arm movements, praying hands, come hither pointing, and then an extended hands above head, hips thrusting part. Uh, Hannah and Emily drop down to the floor. They shake their asses in the air and then slide up from their knees a la Paula Abdul to do some more hip thrusting. Uh, on the close watch, they do a really good job of having Emily, like you were saying, be just a little more graceful than Hannah. Like she looks ever so slightly more relaxed and confident and together. Uh, Hannah's movements, even when they're mostly in sync, are just like a little bit rougher. And there's like a wild energy that is lurking just under the surface. Uh, the coach seems to notice this too, as there's a long camera shot that kind of hints that she's looking closely at Emily. And then we get the smallest moment. And it's a moment when Hannah looks just a little bit sweaty. She tugs her shirt down. And it's like the first drops of rain in what is about to become a storm. We get to a part that has them strutting forward, doing a bang, bang sort of motion with their hands. And we see more clearly that Hannah is going off book, as it were. Her pointing motions are more vigorous. They're looking more like punches. She is no longer a mirror of Emily's movements. She is like gyrating furiously as if she has been taken by the spirit in an evangelical church. And who can say that she hasn't been? Who is Hannah as this dance progresses? It's like in the firebrand when Helen bears her breasts on the walls of Troy and no one can say for sure whether it was Helen herself or Aphrodite using her as a vessel. Is this Hannah or is this a wild version of Aphrodite? Hannah or the god of chaos as worshiped by Ethan Rain? There is a moment that some people might experience like when you're skiing at night and there's no one else around but the moon and the snow and the tree line when you feel completely at one with the mountain or the moment when Handel's Messiah reaches the hallelujah chorus it is a moment when something merely pleasurable and enjoyable transforms and elevates an experience taking it to another level achieving transcendence to the sublime. And this moment is now arriving in Hannah Marin's bang bang dance. Confusion flits across Emily's face as Hannah diverges. They both continue into a part of the performance that includes more punchy hand movements. And we get a wildly unnecessary cut to images of the perfect haired Kate Randall going through Hannah's mind. Sweaty bangs cover Hannah's forehead. Her eyes gain intensity. Her punches become more like those of a boxer. Hannah drops down to the floor and spins around on her back like a break dancer, still punching furiously at the air. There's no longer any separation between Hannah and the dance. Hannah is the dance. The dance is Hannah. She briefly touches her crotch before doing a kickboxing strike into the air and then rising back up like a phoenix. Emily is still doggedly doing the routine as Hannah gyrates more and more frantically and continues her kickboxing movements like a vengeful rocket who has started fighting crime after being bitten by a radioactive stepsister. Hannah's arms are flailing. Her head is rolling of its own accord. This is the portion of the dance that has launched a thousand gifts. 
the portion that is now beyond rhythm or rage. It is beyond the mortal plane. It is pure energy. Emily bites her lip and hilariously does a casual back away. This no longer involves her. <laughs> Hannah's movements are beyond description. She is the poet and the poem. If the poem were an interpretive performance about guiding a taxiing aircraft while also trying to save yourself from drowning. When the fever breaks and the song ends, she stares at herself proudly in the mirror. She smiles with an open mouth. She gives herself a small fist pump. She has touched the divine. She has unleashed the caged tiger of her soul and allowed it to roam free. But in the words of Don McLean's Vincent, they would not listen. They did not know how. Instead of falling on their knees to worship Hannah, instead of realizing that they have seen the face of God, Emily and the pageant coach are taken aback. <laughs> this stone-cold bitch tells Hannah that she has no allure, no mystery, and is not pageant material. Emily tries to take the fall, saying that she picked the song, it's her fault. But pageant woman is having none of it. It's not going to work out to coach her. Hannah grabs her stuff and stands in the hall alone. Oh, Hannah, this world was never made for one as beautiful as you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know how much I love that scene. You know that that is like one of my favorite scenes in the whole run of the show. And I was like, I hope that I hope that I can just convey how my deep love and appreciation for it and that my love and appreciation for it will survive close examination. And I, it did, it did. That was, that, <laughs> I am speechless. That was everything. That was a work of art. Um, wow. I, 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 I think, I think, I think a, a slow class on that one. Wow. 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 Yeah. If you were driving, I hope you pulled your car over. Because otherwise you're in a four car pilot. I'm sure of it. Wow. Well, I don't know how we're even going to do the rest of the episode after that, but that was beautiful. That was everything I could want to describe the bang, bang dance and more. Um, Hannah runs out to her car. Emily runs out of the school calling after her, but who is there? But one Talia there like a stalker. She is there and Emily tells her what Eric said, but Talia defends the choice saying that, she didn't know where this was going, which is another line she has pulled right out of the Presria playbook. Emily says that she is not into girls because it's trendy, and she doesn't like that Talia has been lying to all three of them. Emily says that she needs to be there for Hannah and rushes off. Being there for Hannah is the smartest choice that Emily makes in this episode. <laughs> It truly is. And like, it is so stocky that Talia just appears out of fucking nowhere here. She last yeah. time we heard she was a catering job in Philadelphia, but now, oh, here she is. 
just hanging out outside the high school, as you do, if you're and, her. And also, she says she got here because of talking to Emily's mom, which, whether or not that's true, extremely creepy thing for her to ha- to say. Also, who else's constant alibi is, like, being in Philadelphia at his editors or his publishers or, you know, having a meeting with his old college buddy? One Mr. Prezra Fitz. What if we found out that the college buddy that Prezra was always meeting with was, in fact, Miss Talia? It would not surprise me even a little bit. Talia is so much worse than I remembered. Like, Oh, my God. I, it yes. is alarming. It is, like... And and it's like I was thinking, and we'll I'm sure we'll talk about this more as the show goes on, but like I was thinking like who is the most successful predator on the show out of Prezra, Talia, or Ren? And I was like, oh. in one way, Prezra is the most successful because like his predation continues the longest and Arya forgives him for like every stupid thing and he winds up like marrying her and she's going to have like a really terrible life etc but on the other hand sometimes I think Ren because Ren is so charming that even though I know he's a predator I like in my heart I want to give him a pass because I just find him like kind of delightful but then I was like or is it Talia because on the first several watches of the show that I did she slipped right under the radar so I don't know they're all the, the predators are all much more successful than they should be. They are. They are. And I mean, I feel like a thing with Talia is like she's condensed like seasons worth of Prezra behavior into like three episodes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So she's she's a quick working predator. I'll give her that. <laughs> Man. Oh, she really is. Also, I should have. Like, the coach wants to coach Emily. Like, and Hannah oh. overheard that, which I yeah. neglected. Uh, I neglected to mention in the post bang bang period, but, um, and Emily is like not into it. Yes. Well, and you are, you are forgiven for not mentioning that because <laughs> my God, my God, that was, a, that, was a, that was a thesis. That was a Ted talk. It was beautiful, beautiful work. Uh, I, I wanted to do, I wanted to do that scene justice. You did. Uh, you did. <laughs> Meanwhile, Aria is still in the tree. <laughs> she finally reaches the hollow and discovers a vial of blood in a plastic bag she drops her flashlight at the sound of rustling someone is there and it's mike he demands to know what she is doing in the tree she demands to know why he's hiding her blood or spencer or hannah's blood in a tree he says it isn't their blood it's mona's this explains nothing, but is shocking enough that that's so Arya drops the vial and breaks it. Mike is aghast, and Arya runs off and hops in her car to drive away. Despite the fact that she was walking in the woods for, like, hours, then when she needs to get back to her car, she has magically been transported through fast travel to be, like, within a few yards. Yeah, time moves really differently for Arya in this episode. One of my notes on this scene was just, rough week for Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Hannah's like, Hannah's dancing her heart out. Like, Ashley Ashley and Shay are having such a great time in dance rehearsal. And meanwhile, Lucy's just in a tree. Like, that's all. (laughs) And they're like, what have you got today? She's like, I'm in the tree again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they stuck me back in the tree, guys. (laughs) And, like, her scene partner for most of this episode is 
the tree. Like there's, <laughs> which I mean, yeah, still a big, still a better scene partner than some. Uh, so Hannah is back at home. She pulls a plate of leftover pizza out of the fridge when Emily walks in. Uh, she is really, you know, wants to be there for Hannah. She says that the coach is an ugly person, which agreed. Uh, Ashley walks in just then. I always love when Ashley swans around the house in a bathrobe. Yes. Uh, and she is here to say that she spoke to Tom and Kate isn't even in Pennsylvania and isn't part of the pageant. Uh, when Hannah grouses about the fact that the coach would rather be Emily's, Ashley kind of gets that they need a minute and goes off to take a shower. Uh, Emily tells her that she told the coach off and Hannah's phone beeps basically taking credit for the whole Kate thing. Uh, Hannah thinks that this is Allie's latest attempt to keep them in Rosewood forever. She says that this worked. Emily says that she will do the pageant for Hannah. I swear I will win that prize for you. A can come after me any day of the week, anywhere. That's not going to stop me from helping someone I love. First of all, Caleb, this is how to be a supportive partner. And I feel like in the absence of Mona, uh, Emily is really picking up the gassing up Hannah mantle in a beautiful way. Because this is something Mona would absolutely do. Um, and also, I just love their friendship so much. Hannah friendship is just the best. And as always, I feel like, you know, Shay and Ashley's genuine friendship just really shines through in their scenes together. Yes, Mona would have already sabotaged every other person on the sign-up sheet for the pageant. Uh, she would have been, oh, like, yeah. tying their shoelaces together. She would have been, like, you know, yeah, oh, Mona Mona would have already taken care of all of the competition. But I agree that, like, in terms of believing in Hannah and, like, you know, helping Hannah as much as possible, Emily is definitely all over that. Oh, Mona would have cut Nan Zabreski's, Zabrowski's, Zabreski's <laughs> breaks, like, before she even reached the parking lot. Yeah. Yes. That is true. That is very true. Oh, um, so Spencer is at home when Garbage comes in, wanting to borrow some packing tape. Veronica posted his bail, but is now kicking him out of the barn. And Spencer just can't believe all of the unfairness with this terrible turn of completely predictable events. Uh, and that Toby was just such a jerk. Garbage, for all his garbage qualities, makes a pretty good point that this is who the fuck Toby is. Like, Spencer can really, like, try to, you know, paint that picture differently all she wants. Uh, but this isn't corner rabbit. This is like your boyfriend is an overzealous cop. That is the story. Um, yes. Spencer hands Johnny a tape gun. Uh, he's planning to go and live in his car. Uh, and then they kiss for five entire seconds. He is like a horrible human being. He's a waste of space. He's like so bad. And they get to kiss for five seconds, which is longer than Paige and Emily kissed for in their goodbye scene. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Spencer has all the boyfriends and uh, Emily has <laughs> Talia. Um, <laughs> so Aria runs into the house screaming for Byron, who, of course, isn't there. Mike runs in after her, saying that he can explain uh, he didn't hurt Mona. He says that a few nights before Thanksgiving, he went to Mona's house and surprised her. And we cut to a flashback where Mona is in her room 
on the phone with Leslie, like talking about Leslie's relationship problems while just casually storing vials of her blood and like putting away her various blood draw supplies in her little mini fridge. You know, just normal teen girl stuff. Mike walks in just then, uh, and now we have, like, an explanation within the flashback explanation as Mona (laughs) hangs up with Leslie and tells Mike that she has been given an opportunity to help the liars and expose A. She says that A is planning for a way to make Allison look guilty for Mona's murder and get her behind bars. A came up with a plan, and it's brilliant, Mona says. Uh, She says that she has been talking indirectly to A and has to earn the right to actually know who A is, which Mona has been working towards for seasons at this point. Uh, She says that she'll go away for a little while, but when she comes back, Allison will get out of jail, the liars will be safe, and Mona will be the hero. Oh, Vander Jesus, we love you so. Uh, She says, though, that in order for all of this to work, she has to commit. And um, this means that she will be going away for a while. Back in the present day, Mike says that they fought about this a bunch, but she convinced him that she had it under control and that she would be safe. But now he doesn't believe that because he and Mona were supposed to meet up a bunch of times, but she never showed, which is why he went to Allison to see if she knew anything. Because uh, uh, because Arya deduces, he thinks that A double-crossed Mona and killed her. They're both crying. It's very sad. It's a very well-acted scene for them both. He says that Allison can't be A since she wasn't there when it happened. Cyrus told him that A had him get Allison out of town. Mona gave Mike the blood as a promise that she was coming back. How very Billy Bob Thornton of him. Um, But he was hiding the blood because he didn't want Arya to find it and start asking questions. It was all he had of her and now it's gone. They finally hug. Oh, Mike. And, you know, if this was any other dude telling the story, I would not believe them. I'd be like, oh, you definitely killed your girlfriend. But, like, this is Mike and Mona, and I totally believe that he's telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do agree. Uh, oh, and your heart your heart just breaks for him. Because Mike has always been, like, his love for Mona has always been of, of all of Mona. Like, he yeah. knows that, like, he's not like, oh, my goodness, you need help you are you know you are like doing this wild plan with your blood and it's bananas pants and I'm going to like call your mom or I'm going to like tell Dr. Sullivan like he's just like okay this is what you're doing let's talk about it the two of us let's right for it um and I I do love that about them yeah, I mean, Mike Mike thinks that Mona is the coolest girl in the world, which is like, mm-hmm. we think that Mona is the coolest girl in the world. So like, we, we're, we're kind of Mike in a way. We're all yeah. Mike. Yeah, we, um, we are. But it's kind of amazing that like, this little scene, like right here at the end of the episode, Arya has had basically nothing to do but climb a tree all episode. And this little scene clears the deck of these two characters who have been suspects for basically this whole half season. Mike and yeah. Yeah. Uh, very suddenly, too. Very, like, very, very yes. quickly. Yeah. Um, so Arya is now filling the liars in on all of this info. Uh, they are shocked that Allie is not A and blame themselves for destroying evidence that maybe could have cleared her and creating the barricade that allowed her to be arrested. Uh, Emily is especially concerned with trying to make things right. They can't believe that Mike knows about A and think that this shows that Mona really did trust him. 
As they discuss how to proceed, the camera angle hints that someone may be watching them from outside. And this, this is just like the wrap up of like, okay, the liars thought that Allison was A, and now they don't. <laughs> like now they're convinced, which is weird because a little while ago they didn't trust Mike. But even if they decide they trust Mike, I don't know why they're deciding that they trust Cyrus at this point. Um, yeah. That's an interesting, that's an interesting idea. And also, um, I feel like they, they are just like very credulous. Like they, they don't really interrogate any of their assumptions here or any of the assumptions they've previously been making. And it's such an odd decision that the show is like, no, it couldn't have been Allison. She was away because Cyrus had lured her out of town. Like, does the show not remember that they actually showed Allison outside of Mona's house while yes. the police were there? And that they had a whole, yes, that they had this like whole storyline about the alibi. And all, yeah, it's, it's strange. It's, it's really, it's also really weird to me that like Allison is exonerated via the Cyrus alibi in an episode that does not contain Allison or Cyrus. Like, that we're getting this whole story third-hand through Mike. Yeah, it is. Yeah, like, there's so much of this episode hinges on Allison, Mona, Cyrus. Mona is in this episode a little bit in the flashback, but but yes. she's not, like, in it in the present day or anything. Uh, and, of course, Kate Randall, who also is not in this episode. They just have, like, a reel of her old appearances. Right, right. Yeah, a little, a little, yeah, a little best of showcase there. Yeah, it's, it's, it is strange that it's, it's a lot of characters, yeah, that are being, are being talked about, but not Jen. And then weirdly, like, Eric, a character who was talked about who we never wanted to see, does show up. Right. Oh, and Jenna and Toby's dad were discussed, even though, like, and we've Veronica. never seen Toby's dad, and we haven't seen, and Byron, uh, who was definitely going to be back. But who is yeah. not there to, like, potentially save his daughter from being murdered when she's afraid. Yeah, and Pam, who's always on the phone with Talia this episode. Yeah, yeah. there are a lot. Yeah, there are a lot of, like, French farces happening where <laughs> someone has, like, just been on the phone or, like, just gone through a door right before this. Yeah, it's it's a it's a whole noises off situation, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so... Let's see. So we this is a this is interesting the way this is edited because it's this is like a unique take on the A tag because we kind of cut outside. It appears that A is watching the liars and then it kind of just fades into this shot of A in Mike's bedroom, <laughs> kind of hilariously like rifling through his things a little bit, picking up a weight and like, you know, doing a couple of curls and then pulling out bum 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 a wrench. Which, what's funny is that in this episode, we've seen Spencer being very adept at handling tools. So it feels like this could be a little, like, is Spencer A moment? Yeah, yeah, that is a great, great call out, um, especially because there was a whole bunch of discussion of her toolbox. Exactly, exactly. Um, Yeah, and that is pretty isn't the point, which a wild, wild ride of an episode. Yes, Talia so terrible Caleb so terrible Toby and garbage so terrible but at least we got to see Hannah dance at least we got to see Hannah dance more importantly at least we got to hear you talk about the Hannah dance 
which was really just everything, everything I could have wanted. Um, do we have more to say about this episode? I, I think we have said all there is to say, but if any of our listeners have anything that they would like to say about Hannah's dance or about any of the awful people running around Rosewood this week, if they think that Johnny wanted to get caught uh, during his heist or have other thoughts, etc., we would love to hear them. Yes. Oh, we sure would. You can, of course, always reach out to us at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. You can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Uh, we are going to be off next week, but we will be back the following week with bloody hell. So uh, everybody get your passports renewed because we are going to England. And this is going to be, I mean, the real French farce of is bloody hell because... <laughs> <laughs> Melissa and Ren are always like just right off screen the whole episode. It is wild stuff. Oh my gosh. British Colin coming right up. Oh yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's, we're going to have to have a conversation about like some of the one-off liar relationships because the situation with British Colin is, is grim. I think that we're going to also have to make like a scorecard of how many like unnecessarily British words they just throw at us in the next episode, like yeah. kippers or jumpers or like, you know, whatever, whatever we see. And then we're going to have to save that list and see how many of those words Alex Drake says uh, during, uh, during her like big appearance uh, in the final episode. I'm trying to remember if Spencer does an English accent at any point in the episode next week. <gasps> oh my gosh. Which would be like a preview that we didn't even know we were getting. Oh, yes. yes. Wow. Well, uh, until then, in, in two weeks when we're headed off to, to jolly old London town. Um, yeah. Until then, take care. <laughs> Thank you.